Today's reading is from Mark 8, 22 through 26, and it's not going to be up on the screen, but it's on page 931 of the Bibles next to your seats. Yeah, but they, thank you. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. The word of God. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to be back here once again. I had a, a wonderful time with you guys, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks ago, whenever that was. It seems like a lifetime ago, but... Um, it was just a great experience on my part to be able to worship with, with you guys and share God's word with, with you guys as well. I want to ask you a, a question to start with as we get going here. How are you guys doing? Great. Great? Yeah. Anybody not doing so great today? Okay. Some honesty. If, if we were honest with ourselves... Um, some of you probably are really doing great um, this morning. Some of us may not be doing so great. Uh, the point being is that we come to this place with our different journeys throughout the week, and even this morning could have been a, a tremendously difficult sm- uh, morning for you. Some challenges that you faced that were unexpected, challenges that may have been expected, challenges that you didn't handle very well, challenges you may have handled very well. And here we are, coming from our various places, coming together and the miracle of forming the body of Christ, the community, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ gathered together. Now, to me, that's a, that's a miracle. That's a supernatural thing that happens. And I, two things I, I bring up for, for that to kind of set the stage of, of where we're going is that oftentimes we get into an individualistic mindset, meaning that we come as individuals, we worship as individuals, we learn as individuals, and we leave as individuals. And we are individuals. So there's some truth to that, and there's some good to that, that we need to hear the message individually speaking to us. But we're also more than individuals. We're a people. We're a community. We're the body of Christ that comes together. We're corporate. And so some of that is is understanding who we are together. And what does that look like for us to be shaped more into the image of God, not just I shaped into the image of God? So that means that we are responsible for one another, that we're in relationship with one another. Um, our spiritual formation is not dependent solely on me. It's, it's part of this community experience, which is you know, part of the beauty of being in the body of Christ. The other part related to the question relates to our passage. Is that no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, whether your eyes have not been opened yet to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or whether they have, it doesn't matter. We, we all need our eyes open. Sometimes, maybe, or maybe it's for the first time, um, but we need to continually have our eyes opened to the truths of Jesus, no matter where we're at in our story. 
whether it's at a good place in our story or a not so good place, whether it's a challenging place or not so challenging place, there's, there's always areas in our lives where as followers of Christ, our eyes need to be opened to the truth of what God is speaking into our lives so that we may follow accordingly. We don't know the story and who we are in that story. We won't know how to act in that story. And part of the challenge this morning is, is for us to recognize that it's not just how I act in this story, but how we act in this story as well. Um, but that is funneled through us as individuals, and that moves out into the community um, of us corporately. So with that rather long introduction to, to that, let me pray, and then we're going to dive into to the text here. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to worship you as the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could not, and that he died for our sins, conquering sin and conquering death in his resurrection, so that we might not face condemnation, but we might face life and righteousness in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that. Um, I pray this morning and uh, onward that we'll continue to, to grow in faith, that we'll continue to be transformed by your word and nourished by your word, that we might be credible witnesses to your gospel, credible image bearers of yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So back in um, September of 70, 78, I was... I was uh, 11 years old at the time. And I have this distinct memory of our family um, watching TV, because this was kind of a big deal. It was just, I was getting to the age where I was able to start watching TV with my parents a, a little bit uh, in the evening. And a new show had just come out, and it was absolutely hilarious. And our whole family was, I can remember distinctly, rolling on the floor. My sister and I, a couple years younger than I, was, we were literally rolling on the floor in laughter and hurt. And the strange thing was my parents were laughing, rolling off their chairs and, and seats as well. The show was uh, Work and Mindy with Robin Williams. And some of you are familiar with, with that show. And of course, we all have heard the news of what happened to Robin Williams earlier this week. At 63, he took his, took his own life. Um, that show launched Robin Williams off into an incredible career, uh, a comedic career, um, also in, into movies. Uh, if you take a look at the list of the movies that that guy was part of, it was incredible. Um, anything from, oh man, The World According to Garp, to Flubber, to Good Morning Vietnam, to Goodwill Hunting, to A Dead Poet Society, um, Toys. I mean, there was all kinds of movies that Robin Williams was a part of. But there was one that, that kind of stands out for me for a particular scene uh, in it, and it was the movie Patch Adams. Are you familiar with the movie Patch Adams? Where he plays a real-life doctor um, who addressed the medical concerns from a, a slightly different angle than the typical medical profession was used to, with more of a humorous side of, of, of things. But early in the movie, there's a scene where uh, he is in a mental hospital himself, and there's an older, uh, cantankerous, kind of smart guy who knows everything. And he goes around asking people, how many fingers do you see? Do you remember this scene? Have you seen this? Are you familiar with this at all? So he goes around to the other patients in there, and he holds up and says, how many fingers do you see? 
And they all say four. And so he does it to Patch Adams, and Patch says four. And the guy responds to him, oh, another idiot. And so this gets Patch kind of worked up. It's like, well, what, what, what other answer could there be? And so he ends up going to this guy's room where after some snide remarks to, to Patch, um, Patch pers- perseveres through, sits down next to him, and, and sees his cup is leaking. So he takes a little thing, patches up his cup. And when this guy sees an act of kindness toward him, he opens back up to, to Patch because Patch really wants to know the answer to the question. So the guy takes Patch's hand, holds it back up here, and how many fingers do you see? And again, he says, there's four fingers. He says, no, you're looking at this all wrong. You're looking at the problem. Never look at the problem. Look past the problem. Look at me. And so Patch begins to readjust his gaze, and it doesn't happen immediately. It shows it kind of blurring in and out and showing, kind of going on to this guy, coming back. And then finally, he focuses on the guy behind him, and what happens is the four fingers splits. And now you have eight fingers there. And he goes, eight. So that's, a, that's a good answer. And then he says something quite, quite important. He says, see what no one else sees. See what everyone else chooses not to see out of fear or conformity or laziness. See the world anew each day. And that was his challenge to to patch in how he saw things in this world. And I think our passage this morning speaks to that, to seeing the world anew. Seeing the world differently than how the world sees itself. And that's, that's really what the gospel story challenges. Jesus kind of turns, have you noticed that when you read through the gospels and read through, Jesus is always turning things upside down. We, we tend to get things backwards. Sin distorts and corrupts and we don't see very, very well. And so in this passage where, where Jesus encounters a blind man, and again, well, not again, for the, just in Scripture, blindness is a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual thing as, as well. Um, we can be spiritually blind to, to the truth that God wants us to know. That's what sin does, too. It darkens our understanding. It corrupts how we see things. It, you know, sin basically makes things smaller and less than, than what it is before. So um, having our eyes opened, our ears opened, is, is akin to um, being able to, to, to understand better and to see better the reality of the situation we find ourselves in so we can uh, respond appropriately to that. With this story, let's just be up front. This is a kind of a strange miracle story, isn't it? You find this kind of a, a, a strange story? I mean, Jesus' miracles before, he, I mean, he's just, he's healing people left and right. They're, they're coming to him and demons are being cast out and, and all kinds of sicknesses are, are being healed. But this is a single person in a village who's taken out of the village and Jesus does something really wacky with him, right? He spits in his eyes. Don't you find that kind of weird? <laughs> you know, I guess the guy didn't see it coming, right? <laughs> but still... I don't know if Jesus was, you know, working it up, but I, I don't mean to be crude with that or anything, but this is, 
we, we sometimes pull ourselves out of the story, right? I do, I do this all the time. I pull myself out of the story. I saw Noah last night with my family. And again, that's, it's a very, very, very loose, if you've seen that movie, loose adaptation of the biblical story. And I say loose very significantly because there's a lot of deviations from, from that. But what it did is it put me back into that story again. It's like, you know what? I read the Noah story and I say, okay, creation's bad. Noah's told to build the ark. He builds this big old ark. All the animals, two by two, come into the ark. It rains, floods the entire world. Everyone's dead except for Noah's family. And the animals are in there. And then the water recedes. And then they come back and the dry land and everything starts back over again. Okay, hold on, next. It's like, are you kidding me? That movie kind of put me back into the catastrophic event that just took place and what had must have gone through their minds and some of their actions in the process of doing that. And so sometimes the challenge is just to get ourselves back into the story. And so the spit into the eyes gets me back into the story. Now this is, Mark just loves reality details in there. He didn't have to, to say that, but it obviously caught him off that, yeah, Jesus spit into this dude's eyes. Yeah, man, this is crazy. He spits into his eyes, and what happens? Is he instantly healed? Another crazy thing. They're almost, they're always instantly healed. He's not instantly healed in this one. And so Jesus asked him a question, what do you see? And he, these people walking, but they look like trees walking out there. So he sees blurry out there. His vision's not fully restored. So then, I don't think Jesus spit on him again, because they said he touched him again. And his re- sight was restored fully back. Uh, to him, so he saw with, with clarity. Now, I, I think there's a, a couple interesting things for us to ponder here um, this morning. One um, was this person's willingness to come to Jesus and submit to him as, as the healer, to have his eyes open. He, uh, he was blind, so he was, it was very easy to be uh, open and aware to his condition. For us, we're not always as open to that condition of our of our blindness. We can be blind to our own blindness um, at times. One of the first things into having our eyes open for the first time, or to continually have it open, is to is to be willing to submit to Jesus and to go to Him as the healer, as the one that opens eyes. Jesus is the one that opens eyes. None of the healers there open eyes. Jesus is the one that does the eye opening. This this eye opening thing is bigger than, and this goes into what I talked about, bigger than just individual eye opening. It's it's a collective eye opening as, as well, even though it involves individuals. And C.S. Lewis um, he is one of my favorite authors. He's just written some, some brilliant uh, stuff. Uh, many of you may not know that he's, he wrote a lot of poetry as well. And I'll, I'll just say, I'm not a po- poet kind of guy. I'm an analytical, logical, straight line kind of thinker. Anybody else here that way? Because if you are, you're going to have a hard time with this, this reading here. Um, because as you know, poems don't work that way. 
Poems use metaphor and allegory and images and pictures, and you've got to use a different part of your brain that I don't know if mine even exists <laughs> with her. And he captures the brilliance of what he sees as the diagnosis of, of religion, of Christianity in the West, or of life, really, in, in the West. It's, um, it's called The Country of the Blind. And I want to read this just to stretch myself out a little bit with with this. This is his take on on blindness in a country, on a people's blindness, and how words become different things when we don't see clearly. Hard light bathed him, a whole nation of eyeless men, Dark bipeds not aware how they were maimed. A long process, clearly a slow curse, drained through centuries, left them thus. At some transitional stage then, a luckless few, no doubt, must have had eyes after the up-to-date, normal type, had achieved snug darkness, safe from the guns of heaven, whose blind mouths would abuse words that belonged to their great-grandsires unabashed, talking of the light in some eunuch fungoid sense as a symbol of abstract thoughts. If a man, one that had eyes, a poor misfit, spoke of the gray dawn or the stars or green-sloped sea waves or admired how warm colors change in a lady's cheek, none complained he had used words from an alien tongue, none questioned it was worse. All would agree. Of course, came their answer. We all felt just like that. They were wrong. And he knew too much to be clear. Could not explain. The words sold, raped, flung to the dogs, now could avail no more. Hence, silence. But the mold warps with glib confidence easily. Showed how tricks of the phrase, sheer metaphors, could set fools concocting a myth, taking the words for things. Do you think this is a far-fetched picture? Go then about among men now famous. Attempt speech on the truths that once, opaque, carved in divine forms, irremovable, dread but dear as a mountain mass, stood plain to the inward eye. So this is C.S. Lewis's brilliant take on the condition of, of people. Basically, that we're a people that are blind to the truths of the reality of the world. And when we become blind to the truths of the reality, basically say, uh, we don't believe in the story, well, we believe in the stories in an abstract, metaphorical kind of way. And we lose the reality, the grit of of how that transforms us today. So that when, when someone says a word like salvation, to me that means something. And to you that means something. And to you that means something. To the one that has had their eyes open, it means one thing. To someone who has their eyes open but it's still dim with the trees walking, it'll mean another thing. And to someone who doesn't have them open at all, it's going to mean a completely different thing. And so we can use the same word, but they mean different things for, for different, different people. 
And he says that that's the worst kind of faith there is because people assume that we're on the same plane with one another because we're saying the same things. Yet we're not even close to being on the same plane with, with one another. And life just continues to move on as if there's nothing wrong and the blind leads the blind. And that's his point with this. A blind person can't possibly understand any type of explanation about color, about things, because they've never seen that. They have no concept of that. And so for them to say that they understand or see is a fallacy. They can't. Now, for me, that's the greatest challenge when I become blind to my own blindness. Because I think I see, but I don't. When I convince myself, that I can see, and I see just fine, thank you, that's when I get into the deepest trouble. That's when we get into the deepest trouble. Because that's when we stop looking at God's word, his truths, and start relying on our own words and our own truths. N.T. Wright talks about, or uses this phrase, uh, an, an embarrassing interval to describe the life of a lot of people who, who claim to be Christians. An embarrassing interval, and what he's referring to is that, that period of time from when someone professes to be a follower of Christ to their death. He calls that the embarrassing interval. Because what he's getting at there is that interval between that confession of Christ and their death, there's no evidence, there's no fruit, there's no really kingdom kind of living. There's no transformation that, that really happened in this person's life. And so you have this embarrassing interval. And N.T. Wright, what he's getting at is that when a person has, has received Christ, submitted to his healing to have their eyes open, to allow him to spit into your eyes, if you will, to get that personal with you, that transformation happens. But it doesn't always happen immediately, right? We're on a journey, a, a, a formational journey throughout life where we're becoming more Christ-like, hopefully, and our faith is deepening and, and growing. That's, I think, what this two-part healing partially gets at. Like, look, this, this, is, this is something that happens over, over time. That we're continually to have our, our eyes opened to the truth of who Jesus is and, and, and who we are and how we are to in, engage with that. In some ways, it's kind of like one of these. Anybody know what this is? You guys engaged with, with these before, the magic eye charts? They were popular a while back, and they came out again. This happens to be a Doctor Who. Who's the Doctor Who fan? There we go. <laughs> this, is, this is a Doctor Who one. My, my kids are in it. It got us all hooked into a Doctor Who. We can't wait for the 24th with the new episodes coming out. So, But for a lot of people, what they see... In fact, all of us from right here, all we see is a two-dimensional picture of, of shapes and images and colors that's really there, right? But for those of you who are able to see into this picture, it becomes three-dimensional. And what's in there, actually, I shouldn't even see. I should see if you guys can figure it out. What's, what's in there is three Daleks floating in you don't need to know what a Dalek is, but there's little, there are R2-D2 kind of things floating in the air. And the TARDIS, which is a police box kind of thing that's in here, three-dimensionally. And it's crazy. But the point being is that 
things aren't always the way they appear. I can say, it's not there. It's simply these images here. I can't convince you in any other ways. You have to see it for yourself. You have to have your eyes open to the deeper reality that, that's in there. Um, and you can only do that, that's the individual part in there. You have to have your eyes open. This speaks to our ongoing formation, where if we begin to, as I mentioned earlier, start to trust in our own understanding, our own ways, we get ourselves into trouble. I just want to speak to, to one thing that has caused, and I alluded to it just a few minutes a, a, ago. And I deal with this all the time. I've been pastoring for about 16 years now, and this is probably the number one thing that I confront is this, this idea, and I, I don't mean to be offensive with this, so forgive me if if it's taken offensively um, with this, but this, this saying the prayer kind of thing, and, and now you're a Christian kind of thing, just totally messes up people's Christian lives and how they get started in their, their Christian lives. Now, I'm not saying saying the prayer is a bad thing or anything like that, but more often than not, what happens is it's a trust in the prayer, not a trust in God or a trust in Christ, because what comes back is that embarrassing interval. And where's Jesus in this person's life? Oh, he's still back there on the cross. He forgave my sins. And I got a ticket to heaven over here. But this meantime, ah, I just go about my own thing for the most part. I'll show up to church. I'll give some money. I may stop swearing a little bit. I'll, I'll kind of conform to the Christian lifestyle. But there's actually real no kingdom kind of living that's happening there where Jesus invaded our lives, invaded this world, and it's making a real presence through you as an individual and us as a community. The prayer doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. And unless Jesus becomes our, not just Savior, but our Lord as well, we're going to end up in some bad places. We, we confess that, right? That was our confession this morning, that we are prone to wonder, that that we get lost on our, our own. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we lose it. We get lost. We lose our vision. Jesus is our vision. Be thou my vision. What a great song. So I think the challenge for me and for, for us with, with this is, what are our blind areas in our life? How well do you know Jesus? Not just intellectually, but experientially. How much is he a part of your daily life? How much is he a part of your, your marriage, of your parenting, of your relationship with your boss or with your employees or with your teacher or with fellow students or with your neighbors? Where's Jesus in, in that? What does that look like to navigate those kind of relationships with, with Jesus? Are we blind in those areas? And, and this is just to get started, to see how big this thing really is. Blind to our own sins. Where's, where's the envy or the greed or the lust that's inside that we're turning an eye to, that we're either conforming to what the world says is, is okay and normal, or we're just being lazy or we're just denying it. That's what 
Patch Adams, mentor, said, you know, see the world differently. Don't conform, don't deny, and don't be lazy. Look inside. Find those blind areas and let Jesus' truth speak into that. Ultimately, what we, we see in here is Jesus as the, the healer and Jesus as the one who restores sight. Jesus who restores vision. Jesus is the one uh, who this guy goes to and who he submits to. And that is our call this morning. Um, and not just this morning, but as we walk out of here, and I don't know where your spheres of influence are, where you're going to be later this afternoon, where you're going to be Monday morning or Wednesday night or Thursday after, afternoon, but those are all areas for the kingdom kind of living to emerge, the following Jesus kind of life to, to emerge, to ask the questions of how do I engage here in a Christ-like way? What does that look like? Holy Spirit, open my eyes so you'll see. You know, it talks about um, in Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. Question, do we believe that? That we can think like Christ through the situations that we might find ourselves? Do we trust that? Do we have faith in that? And last thing here, we don't do that as just as individuals. That's, my, that's our temptation. We do that as individuals. I can't, I can't do this. I'm trying. I, I just can't see it. It's not working. Well, guess what? You've got a whole community around you to help you and to come alongside one another. And it's beautiful when we help each other discern in lives what, what God is up to. I've seen it over and over again where individuals could do it, but communities, communities can. May we allow Jesus to spit into our eyes on a continual basis as he continues to open our eyes to the truth of his grace and his mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story, this real story that was penned by Mark many years ago about the healing of this blind man's eyes and sight. And Lord, as we contemplate the reality of the story, the reality of you as a healer, the reality of our need for to have our, our eyes opened, maybe for the first time, and if it has already happened on a continual basis, that we would have the courage through the power of the Holy Spirit, to confront those areas of darkness, those areas of, of blindness, that we might have um, those opened up as well, that we might see the light there, and we might confess and, and be forgiven and move forward. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for loving us where we're at, no matter what that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.